Today is Sunday, October 6, 2019, and the title of today's message is, Let's Get Ready to Rumble! See, that's not just a boxing announcer that gets to make that famous. We're going to take that to heart today. I want to remind you of this past Wednesday night, Pastor Eric had an incredible message called Fountain to the Nations. Anybody here for that? Have you heard that message? Hey, look, this morning, I want to encourage you. We are here to encourage you with what the Lord has given us to speak to you. This is not some canned message that we found somewhere online. We didn't dig it out of a drawer somewhere thinking that we'll go ahead and use that one today. The pastors that you see before you have prayed about it, and we have the right word for you today. Yeah. I am confident of this because it's what we need. Whatever sleepiness that you got upon you, it's time that we're going to enjoy the presence of God because he's here with us. I want to remind you of that service on Wednesday night, which was fantastic. If you haven't yet gone back and listened to it, I'm talking to those of you who were here. You got to go back and catch that again because it was absolutely phenomenal. We found out that we're already in a battle. We're already in a war. We're already in a global conflict, whether we realize it or not. It was an ongoing battle that we entered into when we became a believer. Wow, what an interesting thing. You didn't know that when you got saved. You didn't know that when you came into the kingdom. See, you thought it was about you, but what you entered into was a global war. A war for all time that we are on the victorious side. Amen. See, when you're sleeping, even at night here, you know what's happening? Somebody else on the other side of the world is warring. Come on. They're in the middle of a battle. See, we look at the world through our own eyes, and what we're going to do today is we're going to say, it's time to get ready to rumble, church, because there's a battle that we have to engage in. This battle is for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and you get the divine privilege of being part of it, being a part of his warriors, being a part of the army that's going to do this. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. I don't know about y'all, but these pastors on the stage, we're going to get saved today if you don't. We're going after this today. Deuteronomy chapter 20. And let's start in verse 1. Say there when you are there. When you go to war. Woo! I love that passage. Not if you're going to go to war. Come on, Damien. You know what I'm talking about. It's not a question if you're going to go to war. It's when you go to war. Against your enemies. And you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours. Do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Come on, the battle is to be expected, church. Anybody been in a battle lately? Anybody had anything to battle through bottom lately? Come on. Come on, man. We're in a battle and it's to be expected. Golly, how many times do we just kind of, we're still surprised every time we have to get in a battle. When you go to war against your enemies and you see The horses and chariots. Boy, isn't that the biggest problem that we have? It's that our lying eyes begin to see something and we start believing it just because we can see it. See, what we're trying to do is raise a holy kind of uh, defiance in this place today that we can look at the circumstances and be like, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, I'm born for this. Let's enter into this fight because we're going to fight and win. It says don't be afraid of them. You know why? Because fear wants to grip the heart of each and every man and woman in this room. But this is a battle, a long-term battle. This is not a one-day kind of thing. This is not you enter the ring for three minutes and then you get to get out. This is a battle for life and death. This is not a week. This is not a month. This is not a year kind of battle. Pastor, we know that. I'm not sure if we do today. See, because what we do is we come and we fall at the altar. Man, we're proud of you as a church. You are a church who knows to run to the altar. But you're running to the altar to gather your resolve so that you can stand up and go out and fight more. Amen. You're catching your breath. You're finding a a spring that comes forth from the very heavens so that you can turn around and go back to battle. This is a battle that you must fight until you completely annihilate the enemy. Come on. Let's speak up in verse 2. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. Pastor Wade just got through speaking about when you go to war. Now we're getting to that moment where you're standing on the front line and you're about to step into an engagement with your enemy. There's going to be conflict that you're going to face. What are we doing up here this morning? We are priests addressing the army of God. Raising up a war cry. Saying, let's get ready to rumble. Verse 3, he shall say, 
Hear, Shema, O Israel. Today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted, nor afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. Listen, today our aim is very simple. We are making a war cry. And our invitation is for you to join us in that war cry. Something that sounds like, Rock, Kazak, Vehemats. Say it with me. Rock, Kazak, Vehemats. This is the war cry of Israel. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't give way to fear. Our hearts must be free of fear in the face of battle. I'm talking about totally free of terror. Devoid of pusillanimous panic. I'm talking about that trembling that falls on the ground and cries like a little girl, but that's happening on the actual battle line. That's not what defines the army of the living God. With the One Association Conference only just a few days away, we're counting down the hours now. We cannot cower. We cannot bow down to the sight of Satan's schemes. I'm talking about fiery darts that are headed your way. We should raise up a war cry as we raise up our shield of faith that will absorb them and extinguish every single attack that Satan throws at us. Saints, this morning, we got to be ready to rumble. Are y'all ready to rumble this morning? Look at verse 4 with me. For the Lord, your God, is the one who goes with you. To fight for you Amen. against your enemies to give you victory. Are you in it to win it? Yeah. Do you want to win? Amen. How many rounds are you willing to go for victory? One round? Three rounds? Ten rounds? How about 684 rounds? 684 days ago, these pastors got a text that we had just got hit in the mouth. You know, we went to Indonesia with a plan. And one of America's great philosophers Mike Tyson. <laughs> he says, everyone has a plan until I hit him in the mouth. We all have a plan. We're all ready for war. When we are uh, getting ready for war, we're thinking of what we're going to inflict on the enemy. But has it ever crossed your mind? You're going to get hit in the mouth. <laughs> well, we got hit in the mouth. And it's been a long fight. But today, we're on this side of victory. You see, when you get hit in the mouth, you forget about your plan. But I knew where my corner was. I knew who was in my corner. And we came to the corner and we had forgotten everything when you get hit in the mouth. They encouraged us. They said, we are here to fight with you. And we went round after round after round. Just three months ago, we were sitting in a doctor's office. And a specialist told us, I have some very bad news for you. Uh, Teresa's cornea is in rejection. He said, you need to be prepared. You're going to lose the cornea. And we came home and we sat in bed and we looked at each other and we cried. And we said, Lord, you didn't bring us this far to lose. We're not quitting in this round. Because we want to win. And I stand here today with my beautiful wife. Not because... The Vincents are great. Not because we have great faith. It's because the Lord has delivered victory. Amen? Amen.
Come on, church. Give God glory for that. Come on, it's easy to say that you're going to fight until the end. But when you start thinking about it in terms of 684 rounds, and many of them looking like you're losing at every turn, just having the tenacity to stay involved in what God is doing and keep that fighting spirit to get ready to rumble no matter what the cost. Turn with us to Genesis 14. Genesis 14 and verse 14. It says this, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Man, see, this is an incredible passage. Just like the priest in Deuteronomy 20 that called forth the army, Abram heard that there was a need and he said, come on, boys, let's go. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's get in the fight right now. You realize what the church is, right? You realize that the church, capital C church, is a group of the called out ones. The ones who heard the battle cry and said, that's for me. I'm stepping into that battle. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to tuck tail. I'm not going to back up, shut up, or let up. I'm going right where the battle is. And this is what's happening. Abraham is calling them out. Just like God has called you out you got to empty yourself of what your fear is. you got to empty yourself of your own thoughts, your own expectations, that this is supposed to be some club med vacation for you when you come into the kingdom. <laughs> we get that vacation on the other end of this fight, not on this end of it. These men were trained. Somebody say trained. 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 Now that sounds like that's a past tense kind of verb. They were trained. But if you've ever been in the military or understand what's going on, you don't get trained back there somewhere. These are men who are constantly training. They're getting ready because they don't know when the next battle is. They don't know what the next fight is going to require of them. So they're training. They're honing their skills. They're getting ready because these men were ready to rumble. They were just looking for two things. The will to continue to train and the will to go out into the battle. Come on, it's almost like this is the same thing that's required of us to be the called out ones today. Are you willing to stay in the training day after day, round after round? Are you willing to keep going for it, to have that intensity that says, I will do today because I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I can trust in the one who holds tomorrow. I am ready to keep training in this because when we begin in the war, we must continue in the war. Church, the truth is, is this is the enemy's biggest tactic in any of our lives. Well, there's a lot of people that start the race, isn't there? What makes the difference? You got to finish this fight. You got to stay in the training. You got to just do it again until the victory is won. Man, we get to be a part of a global conflict, church. I want us to keep going back to this, lest you think that your battles are just for you. Lest you think that you keep crying out for God to save just you. Man, we've got to be thinking about this. Yes, I need to be victorious because I want to advance the kingdom of God on this earth. And I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to stay in the training. And I'm willing to go to war. Saints, Abram was a man with a divine directive. That he had emptied himself. He was called out by God. And we see here the evidence that he was raising up 318 young men that would replicate his very way of life. He was a disciple, creating disciples. And as a result, he was able to respond immediately to the enemy's confrontation. Take those disciples with him and go immediately to war. They were in constant training so they could continue to go the distance of what it took to win the war. In verse 15, it says, During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Just like Abram saints, we need to devise a heavenly plan when it comes to attacking and retaliating. We have to throw away our human instinct to just forcefully react, but receive a download from heaven of how we're going to engage in battle. This resulted in being able to take his 318 trained men and attack the enemy on multiple fronts. You know what we witnessed with the Brent, uh, with the Vincents, with Brent and Teresa? 
is that as we begin to raise up a war cry in all of the One Association churches, the Lord was attacking the enemy on multiple fronts. And then we surrounded them with prayer day in and day night. And now we stand with them and celebrate the victory that's occurring. Because they were willing to go as far as it takes, as long as it takes. You know, one fact about this passage is that where Abram started his journey, at his home, he had to travel a hundred miles north, well north of the current borders of Israel. At a hundred years old, what would that look like? I mean, I can barely go two miles down the road and I'm only 43 years old. But the kind of tenacity that he had and with his disciples around him, he was able to go as far as it took to rout the enemy. He was demonstrating that he was ready to rumble. His disciples were demonstrating that they were ready to rumble. But the question is, saints, today, are you ready to rumble? Amen. War brings victory. So you're not just fighting to fight. At the end of the fight, there is a victory. Amen. But you got to go to war to get victory. Amen. Look at verse 16. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relatives, Lot, and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Teresa's infection, she lost complete sight in her left eye. After the cornea transplant, her vision was 2,400. She could see some shadows. Uh, She could see maybe some fingers if you waved them in front of a light. It wasn't the results we were hoping for. But we knew victory was still in front of us. We had to continue to fight because we weren't just fighting to just to fight. We were looking for victory. And until there's victory, you don't stop fighting. But you will win a total victory. Just two days ago, they tested her eye. And she's at 20 70. Amen. And soon, 2020. In fact, her left eye is going to be clear. She'll be able to see better out of her left eye than her right eye. We always say, We sing that song, I'm going into the enemy's camp, or I went into the enemy's camp to take back what he stole. That's a testimony. This room, you might be at war, but this room is full of victory. Because we have gone into the enemy's camp, and we have taken back what belongs to us. Amen? When you get hit in the mouth, you get back up. Because our temporary afflictions are providing for us an eternal crown. Come on, say that again, Pastor. Our temporary afflictions are providing for us an eternal crown of victory. Man, what a great perspective for all of us to have today. Turn with us to Judges chapter 20. While you're turning there, I want to set the story for you. This is a dark, dark time in Israel's history. There have been things that have been unspeakably done to people in wicked ways here. They inquire of the Lord and, they, and the Lord tells them, send Judah first into this battle. Israel's army numbers about 400,000 troops. Benjamin's army numbers about 26,000 troops. Let's pick it up in verse 19 as we get ready for this. Unspeakable things done to a man's concubine that rallied an entire nation to deal with this problem. Let me look, let's look at verse 19 together. The next morning, the Israelites got up and pitched camp near Gibeah. The men of Israel went out to fight the Benjamites and took up battle positions against them at Gibeah. Now get this. The men of Israel were told to go to battle. They were told to get out there and fight. They had a larger army, but in this case, 
Look what happens in verse 21. The Benjamites came out to Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. But the men of Israel encouraged one another and again took up their positions where they had stationed themselves the first day. Now again, the Israelites had inquired of the Lord. Baja, I, I went to the Lord and I asked him and he said to go do this. But what happened? I, I failed. This wasn't the outcome. I thought that if I did the will of the Lord, immediately ease and comfort would come into my life. Immediately if I tried to battle, I would of course win on my first try, on my first swing. <clears throat> 22,000 men of Israel die in one day. I want to put that in a little bit of perspective for you. That's more men than died on D-Day when the Allied forces stormed the beach of Normandy on both sides combined. See, we just throw numbers around and it's hard for us to grasp. 22,000. This was a devastating loss. This was a horrible loss for them. Are you still ready to rumble when you get punched in the mouth? Yes. Are you still ready to rumble even after it looks like defeat has come upon you? Yes. Yeah, that one was much less enthusiastic, wasn't it? Because reality is starting to set in in your own heart. And what you're telling me is what you want to do. What you're telling me is what you're hoping that you can do. But man, when you get in a battle and it hurts because the enemy has come back against you. Lord, what happened? Why didn't you help me? But look at what these men did. In, chapter, in verse 22. But the men of Israel encouraged one another. Yes. Come on, you got you to have some brothers yes. that will stand with you and say, Hey, I don't know what's going on, but I need you to encourage me. Yes. I need to encourage you. Yeah. Man, we got to stay in this battle. Don't give up, Cody. We're going to keep on. fighting. Amen. Come on, you got to have those people who encourage you. And again, somebody say again. 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 And again, they took up their battle positions. What a godly response. God told us to do this. Man, it looks like we just got beat today. Man, that round looks like it went to the enemy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to stand up again and stand exactly where God told me to stand yesterday. Come on. That is the attitude of overcomers in this kingdom. You got to stand up again. And you got to stand up again. And then after you get knocked out, stand up again. Yeah. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, yet will I rise. Yeah. Stand up in God. Yeah. You got to understand... You know, we say in this church, one more time, Lord. Amen. One more time. One more time, Lord. We've been battling. We've destroyed a lot of the enemies. But, Lord, we are in peril of our life in this moment. One more time, Lord, would you show up? You've got to do it again and again. Come on, say it with me. We've got to do it again and again and again. That's the kind of attitude that we have to have in this house. Let's say, look how they did it again in verse 24. Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. That second day of battle this time when the benjamites came out from gibeah to oppose them they cut down another eighteen thousand israelites all of them armed with swords they had rallied their courage after the first day to go stand in battle on the second day what this must have been like not only just to lose 18,000 men, but 18,000 men all armed with swords. Not water boys, not those carrying little towels to wipe everyone's faces off. The mighty men of their force. There's another day of heavy losses. But despite the losses, the Israelites still had a ready-to-rumble kind of attitude. They still rally together with each other and encouraging. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. We will go as far and as long as it takes to win this battle. Amen. Round three. <laughs> Verse 30. They went up against the Benjamites on the third day. They took up positions against Gibeah as they had done before. The Benjamites came out to meet them and were drawn away from the city. They begin to inflict casualties on the Israelites as before. So that about 30 men fell in the open field and on the roads. The one leading to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. It's still looking bad. They heard from the Lord to go to war. 
How many of you, oh, pastor, I heard this is what the Lord has called my family to do. And you lose battle after battle after battle. You hear what you're called to do and you stay in the fight. Until you get victory. Amen. 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 We like to think of it as David and Goliath. You're just going to throw a rock at 40 yards. And the giant will fall. There's some hand-to-hand combat. There's going to be some bloodshed. There's going to be some losses. But if we stay in the fight, it's the only way to get to victory. Come on, church. We know exactly what that's like, don't we? I mean, I'm sitting in here thinking of, of many of the stories in this room, fighting for children and losing, seemingly losing the battle, having to go round after round to get the promise that God has given you. Yeah. We had to fight seven years to get to LCM. The Lord spoke to us that we were going to Indonesia and there wasn't a thing in, that was showing up that that was going to come to pass, but we fought for it. And then we got there. And that, the fighting's not over. <laughs> Amen. We had to fight to get here today. The Indonesian government's been holding our passports for three months. Not sure if they're going to even let us stay in the country. And so I went to them. I said, uh, I, I've got some important things to do in the U.S. I need my passport in five days. And I said... It's not going to happen. The enemy wanted to rob what we're doing right now. I picked up those passports hours before we got on the plane. One more time, Lord. One more time. Look at verse 32. While the Benjamites were saying, We are defeating them as before. The Israelites were saying, let's retreat and draw them away from the city to the roads. They weren't in retreat because they were quitting. They realized they were going to change the plan to have victory. They're just readjusting. The Benjamites were saying, we got this. This is it. We've already had two victories. It's over. Look at them retreating. Look at them retreating. Let's go get them. Let's chase them. The Benjamites thought they had round three. But the Israelites were ready to rumble. Amen? Look at verse 33. All the men of Israel. All of them were ready to rumble. Come on. They had lost two days before two battles. And not one of them defected. They were all ready to rumble. And they moved from their place and took up their positions at Baal Tamar. And the Israelites ambushed, charged out of its place and went west of Gibeah. Then 10,000 of Israel's finest men. Come on, don't you want to be numbered with... The finest? What did they do? They made a frontal attack. Face to face with an enemy that has just whipped you twice. The fighting was so heavy that the Benjamites did not realize how near disaster was. The Lord defeated Benjamin. Who? Benjamin. The Lord defeated Benjamin. Amen. Amen. Before Israel. And on that day, the Israelites struck down 25,100. They were outnumbered two to one. And they won. All armed with swords. These men, uh, they were not playing hopscotch. The enemy was ready for war also. But God delivered them into Israel's hands. At first glance, you might look at this and you might say that it was brother against brother. 
the Israelites were not against Benjamin. You see, that's just where the sin was. And when sin's in your camp and your brother comes to war, he's not warring against you, he's warring with you. It's just the sin is in your camp. Because you don't show the enemy any mercy, you annihilate him. And when they saw the loss of their brother, they restored Benjamin by giving of their own. They didn't go there to destroy Benjamin. They were going to destroy the sin that was going to destroy Benjamin. Your brother's not against you. He is for you. And if you feel like your brothers are attacking you, look to see where the sin is. Come on. Good word. Amen? Amen. See, what Benjamin was doing is they were fighting for their own prerogative. They were fighting for their own plan. The truth is, is they were fighting in pride. Not wanting to yield to what God was doing. And at least that relates to none of us in this room. Wow. How many times are we fighting to keep our right way when we know we're not right to begin with? Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we got to quit fighting to keep our pride. We got to let our pride die so that we can have the right victory in our life. Come on, yeah. Come on now, let's, let's turn to Joshua chapter 10, 10 to see how this is supposed to be done. A battle plan that shows that our great commander is actually going to join us in the battle. Amen. Joshua top, chapter 10 and verse 7. Come on, is everybody there? So Joshua marched up from Gilgal. With his entire army, including all the best fighting men. I love the fact that the Bible tells you that. If they just said the whole army, wouldn't you think that it included the best men? In other words, sometimes we think we can give our all, but we hold back what we think is best, don't we? We hold back that little reserve to make sure that we'll have enough just in case this goes bad. See, Joshua is going up because they made a vow. They made a pledge. They made a commitment to someone else who actually tricked them in the part in the process. Now the Gibeonites are saying, we're in trouble. They're attacking us. Come help us. Joshua says, all right, let's go do this. See, what happens is, is when you get to march up from Gilgal, Gilgal, the place where your reproach is rolled away, the place where your sins are taken away from you. You know what that makes you to want to do? It puts you in a fight kind of mode. you got to be ready to go. See, that's the problem with a lot of other folks somewhere. Is that when they are at the place of Gilgal, they've had their reproach rolled away. They want to now sit back and just kind of relax. See, that's what we love about Joshua. He said, let's go to fight. Let's get ready to rumble. See, that's the kind of church that LCM is. When everyone else is relaxing back, we're saying, let's press in more. That's why we are trying to encourage the priests to to give out a rally cry, a battle cry that says, come on, church, let's press in. Don't you get tired in the battle. We've just had our reproach rolled away. Let's go fight some. That should be our response every time. We get the encouragement to see the Vincents battling for 684 rounds and winning in every way. But you know what? They're going to have to fight more. There's going to be bigger demons that show up. And you know what? They're going to win on those too. So we're going to have to do the same thing here. Don't be afraid of them is what Joshua is what the Lord says to Joshua. Don't be afraid. You don't have to worry about the size of the enemy's army. They're going to be more than you anyway. Don't even, you don't even have to count. The enemy's going to be bigger than you. Just take it for a fact. But don't be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Come on, if we could actually believe the word of God in this house today, not one enemy that you have will be able to stand before you if you keep this ready to rumble attitude, if you keep moving forward, if you just don't quit, if you just don't throw your hands up and say, that's too many rounds, I ain't got nothing left. Well, good, you might be at the place where his power can come and the Lord can begin to fight with you. Come Come on now. You hear what pastor's saying? That once you begin to put your feet into fight mode, after the reproach is rolled away, how quickly God responds to stand at your side. He is ready to fight with you, able to give you the courage to go face battle. Let's pick up in verse 9. After an all-night march from Gilgal. How long was it? 
All night. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. After this all-night march, where these men's feet were being put to faith in a fight mode, trusting that God would be with them as they moved along, they took the enemy by surprise. You know what the truth of this really is? The enemy is always surprised by those who are really ready to rumble. I'm talking about all around the world. We have ample supply of YouTube videos of people just talking smack, voicing what their prowess could be, how they would throw this punch, how they would do this daring thing of battle. But it's not until somebody actually steps up and does what they say they're going to do in battle that surprise begins to hit them square in the mouth. In this, we see the Lord threw the enemy into confusion. What does that look like? As our feet begin to march as long as it takes to go into battle, we're taking the enemy by surprise because we're actually following through with what we God told us to do. Is that the Lord will begin to dismantle the enemy's ability to counterattack or even just respond as we're acting in faith. Israel, they pursued... For 684 rounds. Isn't that right, Brother yeah, Brent? That's right. They were searching for victory because Israel was ready to rumble. Amen. The Vincents were ready to rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Yeah. Amen. If this story ended in verse 10, it would still have been a glorious story. Because it says that uh, Joshua had great victory and that the men began to flee. But in verse 11, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. (laughs) You see, when you show up to fight and you don't quit, the Lord gets in there with you. Yes! He's just looking for someone who will not back up, shut up, but will put up. Go forward and not quit. Come on. Come on, isn't that an encouraging thought for us today? You keep fighting and the Lord begins to fight with you. Man, he's more of an effective, he's got a better right arm than anybody you can imagine. In a field of combatants, not in rows, not in a little place. They're actually battling each other. The Lord is just picking them off with hail. (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. Not hitting the people of God, not one time. More people died by God's hand than by the strength of even the swords of God's people. Oh, yeah. that's a good word. See, you, you got the option. What are you going to put up with? Or what are you going to put up against the enemy? Yeah. And you got to choose that there is nothing less than victory when you get in the battle. Amen. That's right. And the Lord will join in when he sees his people who are willing to put everything out there. Put it all out there. You know what happened? The Lord hit them in the mouth. (laughs) He did. Come on, turn with us to 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Let's see another place where God joins in the battle and what that looks like. Because that's what we want today. We want a group of people who are ready to rumble and watch God interject himself into the battle. 2 Chronicles Chapter 13 and verse 13 says this. Now Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear so that while he was in front of Judah, the ambush was behind them. Judah turned and saw that they were being attacked at both the front and the rear. Come on now, church. You ever thought you had the, the enemy just right where you wanted them? You had it see, you had it sized up rightly. You got your brain around it. And then you realize the enemy's all around you. Man, you're getting attacked from all sides. See, I thought it was just this, but now my work is giving me problems. Now my finances are giving me problems. Man, my car, even my little dog is getting hurt. What's going on? All sides. But what do the people of God do here? 
When Judas realizes this, he cries out to the Lord. Now, you could think about that a lot of different ways. You could presume that he started to have a little, little pity party. Or you could presume that he was calling out for the battle cry of the heavens. Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me! Man, there are times where you got to lose your proper attitude and you got to cry out to the Lord. Amen. The priest blew their trumpets. Come on, isn't that what we're doing today? We're sounding the alarm. Yes. And the men of Judah raised the battle cry. Yeah. Come on, church! That is what we are supposed to be doing. Uh-oh, we're, we're surrounded. We're surrounded. Amen. We are in a target-rich environment. That means we can start shooting and we won't even miss. We're just going to get after this thing because we're going to have a war cry here in this house today. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah! We continue on. At the sound of their battle cry, we just shouted hallelujah. Imagine being standing in that midst of battle and God hears our cry of hallelujah. Then God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The Israelites fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. How's your cry today? Is it a baby's cry? Or is it a battle cry? I'm talking about that moment when you get punched square in the mouth in battle. What comes out? I think if we're honest, it's probably more a baby's cry than it is battle cry. But we're rallying our strength this morning. We got it today, Pastor. We are calling us all to rise up to be ready to rumble. Because when we stop throwing a pity party, we start throwing punches as a pugilist. Come on, We begin to demonstrate with our faith that no matter how many times the enemy hits me square in the mouth, I'm going to come back right at him and I'm going to bring some more brothers with me because we're going to win this thing. Verse 17. Abijah, which happens to mean my father is God. And his men inflicted heavy losses on them so that they were 500,000 casualties. 500,000 casualties among Israel's able men. The men of Israel were subdued on that occasion. And the men of Judah were victorious because they relied on the Lord the God of their fathers. 500,000 casualties. That's more than the U.S. casualties of all World War II. Do you think the battle's too big? You ever went up against an enemy that's just too big? Every battle we fight, the enemy is too big. We are always outnumbered. We are few in number, but we are one in purpose. Amen. And that purpose is to have God on our side in war and come out with nothing less than victory. Amen. I know we face great giants. I know the enemy is big. Put no confidence in your flesh because he is always greater than you, but not greater than our God. Amen. Amen. Take a look at Psalm chapter 20 in verse 6. This is exactly what Pastor Brent was talking about right now. Psalm chapter 20 in verse 6. Come on, you can't lose steam. We can't talk about being ready to rumble. Mm. Psalm 20 in verse 6 says this. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. I know it. I've experienced it. I believe it. I will not live like He doesn't save His anointed ones. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven. <laughs> Whether it takes hailstones coming down from heaven or his word coming down to you, he is going to answer if you stay in the battle Amen. with the saving power of his right hand. Man, that right hand is where that knockout punch is. He will defeat every enemy, both in your life and globally. Come on. The last enemy that he is going to knock out with his right hand is death. Yeah. I mean... There is nothing that will stop him from winning if you will stay, if you will trust in the Lord, if you will keep engaging in the battle. When you begin to depend on that right hand of God for the knockout blow, 
We then pick up in verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. There makes a distinction in your trust versus the trust of others. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. How ridiculous it is to face a global battle that has been going on long before we were ever on earth. That is bigger than our strength really is. And yet to depend on our strength to conquer it and find victory in it. We have to depend on the right hand of God. Because trust in the Lord takes the Vincents and it makes them invincible. It has strengthened them. We have watched God's right hand deliver a knockout blow of victory for the Vincents. When we rely on the power of God and not our own right arm, we are then ready to rumble. To rely on the power of the Lord does not mean to stand outside the battle and just wait for victory to be delivered as an Amazon package. Instead, it means to step into battle by putting your own life on the line. You know what the Vincents did when they went to Indonesia? They began to put their own life on the line. And every 684 rounds that were fought, they were fighting for that same battle and now stand victorious with God's name and right hand being displayed. Amen. What do you put your trust in? Bank account? Your own talent? Your own ability? Or how about victory before you fight the war? That I'm not going to get cut, scratched, beaten, bloodied. What are you putting your hope and your faith in? What's in your wallet? (laughs) Look at verse 8. They were brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and we stand firm. We've been in war for a while. And it is not over. We have fought round after round. And the, the, what we are calling for is to rise up and stand firm. Amen. See, you don't leave the fight. You don't run. You get ready to rumble. Yeah, yeah. What does it mean to get ready to rumble? It means you know you're going into war. Are you ready for the next round? Yes. Are we ready? Yes. Are you ready to get punched in the face? Yes. Amen. Come on, let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Let's talk about some other folks who are ready to rumble. Acts chapter 4, let's start in verse 13. Acts 4.13 says this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, They saw that these were two men who were ready to rumble. And they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Come on now. This kind of getting ready to rumble doesn't require the proper schooling or the pedigree or a unique skill set so that you might engage with this. It takes being with Jesus. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That is the prerequisite. That is what we're saying. When you're with Jesus, it's an astonishing thing. This Look at verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, you can look over at Teresa today and speak with her. You can look at her in her eyes and see what the Lord has done. From an attack that was a mortal attack. You realize what that means, right? There was There was a... Prognosis at the beginning that she may not even live. From a mortal attack of the enemy, which I guess there is no other kind of attack that the enemy tries to do, to her, talk to her today. See what God has done. She can see what God has done. She could look at you with better eyesight than some of you in this room have. That's incredible. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, There was nothing they could say. Man, do you want to just have words or do you want to have actions that are provable? Man, I want to have actions. This attitude that we are trumpeting today is not one of mere words. But we want to see the proof in our midst. We want to see a victorious testimony from each of you. 
We've been trumpeting about what the Vinces had because we've all been praying for a long time now about this. But what about you today? We want you to have the exact same thing. There's not a man or a woman in this room that we want to miss out on what we are talking about. We want you to be ready to rumble so that you might see God come in your situation and you could stand there beside the victory. You can show it and demonstrate it in every way. When it is seen, there's nothing left for the enemy to even say against you. When we have that attitude that is ready to rumble and display the same kind of courage as we see in these men in the book of Acts, let's pick up in verse 16 and see what happens within the enemy's camp. What are we going to do with these men? (laughs) Sounds like the Lord is throwing them into confusion. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Now, when we take our stand and we are unappraised by the world's standards, but held in high regard because we put our full trust in the name of our God, he will show up to display his power through us every single time. Meaning when we get punched in the mouth with a circumstance, you can bet that God's power is going to be there to punch right back. You know, since they can't argue with your results, they go to war with your reputation. Right? They couldn't deny the miraculous power that was being displayed. So they begin to try and tear down these men's reputation. We've seen our fair share of this. That people come and experience what's happening here within this church body. They can't deny that we are biblically accurate. They can't deny the power of God that's being displayed in just the transformation of people's lives and the miracles that take place. So they begin to pick on things such as beards and trucks and cigars and whatever else. Some means of cowardly justification that exempt them from having the same ready-to-rumble attitude that we have. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, when the enemy hits you in the mouth, what he is saying is, Sit down and shut up. I want to translate what they just said. These are godly men. And they said, bring it. (laughs) Bring it. Because we will not sit down and we will not shut up. Bring it. Let's look down at verse 27 as we continue with the story. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together. Man, you know you're in a battle when enemies who hate each other decide to gang up against you. People who do not want to be around each other. They're fighting for their own kingdoms, their own power. They go... You know what? Let's gang up against those little guys. Those two guys. Let's have two forces of the enemy gang up against these two men because of the stir that they're creating. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles. So it's not just the leaders. we got the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Anybody ever felt like it just kept getting poured onto you? You're like, oh, I'm fighting this guy and that guy and all those people and the other amount of people. In this city to conspire. A citywide conspiracy. Come on, all those of you who wear your little uh, tinfoil hats, this, is, this, is, this should be right up your alley. There is a citywide actual conspiracy against you. But what does it say? In this city to conspire against these two men. No. In this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus. See, if you're actually representing him, they're not even opposed to you. Come on. By the way, you're not the issue. When you are ready to rumble, it's not even you that's being represented. Who are they fighting against? They're fighting against Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, whom you anointed. Oh my gosh, it's almost like we need to go back to Psalm 20 and know that he will save his anointed one, which is supposed to be us. This is exactly what we're walking in, church. Always oh, so to hear such a clear call on Pastor Wade, and that we are to align ourselves with what is right in heaven, yes. so that as God protects His anointed one, 
that same protection comes on the anointed ones that are underneath them. As we pick up in verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Say this with me. Should happen. Should Should happen. happen. You know what we see clearly here? Is that many times things should happen, but they don't. But because of these men's determination to have a ready-to-rumble attitude, what God had ordained and even set up His power to accomplish beforehand should happen. And it did. They were training and they were going to war. You know what should happen within a church that is birthed from the living God? Is that it should have disciples that are being trained and going to war. Why are we always pressing with such intensity to go more, to go the distance, to gain more in the kingdom? Because we are constantly trying to emulate the very thing that we see as the foundation, the way that God builds his church. There has to be great boldness as we pick up in 29. Now the Lord, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I'm talking about one that demonstrates an attitude of ready to rumble. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That that very power that is protecting his anointed one, Jesus, the one that is really about afflicting him. Now that name is being magnified in the display of his power, punching the enemy right back square in the mouth. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They came together and prayed. You have to understand, this is the church getting attacked. They've been threatened. And they came together and they prayed in such a way. Their prayer was a war cry that caused God to start shaking things up. What was shaken? They weren't shaken. The ground beneath their feet was shaken. The gates of hell were shaken. The very satanic pillars were coming off of their foundations. Man, what a good word for us today. Turn to Revelation chapter 8. See, it's not the people of God who need to be shaken. We need to be shaking the kingdom of darkness. By our prayers, by the power of which, with which we walk in, by the word of God that inhabits us. In Revelation chapter 8, and look at verse 3. Another angel, somebody say another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. We're getting a glimpse into the heavenly realm. John, the apostle, the elder. By the way, this is the book of Revelation. A singular revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And this man is looking and he's saying, I see another angel who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar of God. He was given much incense to offer. The praises of the people going up before the Lord. But look at what it says. Much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Church, are our prayers creating a stir in the heavenly realm? Are your prayers going up before the Lord? Are they something that is tangible? Something that is powerful? Something that is moving on the inside of you and connecting with the heavens? On the golden altar before the very throne of God. Man, I want to have prayers that are being collected like this. I want to have them that are so close, so mimicking the heart of God, so in line with what He wants that He's collecting them and collecting them and collecting them because it's a powerful thing. To be mixed with the incense right before the very throne of God. Come on, think about it. How are our prayers doing today, church? Are your prayers able to reach His heavens? Are they able to be right there because they are so in line with what His will is? Amen. We see this further in verse 4. The smoke of the incense together with the prayer of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. What we're looking for is a prayer life that will join that fragrant offering that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And be able to offer up prayers that are pleasing to Him for as long as it takes 
hearts to fill up that golden censer. We have to measure our hearts and our minds. Are our prayers in alignment with God's will so that it can join with God's power? As we begin to measure our hearts and we get them in line, we get it in shalom, then our prayers can become powerful and effective, helping us having that attitude of being ready to rumble. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it onto the earth. And there came peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. You see, you don't just go to prayer to pray about your war. You don't go to prayer to pray about your battle. You are in battle when you're in prayer. Take a moment and think. When I hit my knees, I am going into battle. I'm not there to pray about my battle. I'm not there to whine to the Lord about what I'm suffering. I'm going to war when I'm going to prayer. And we want to pray in such a way that God will answer by fire. Amen? Amen. Come on, church, in our last passage of Scripture today, turn with us to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 26. It says this, at that time, his voice shook the earth. Man, aren't you glad that we serve a God who is so strong, who is so powerful that even his voice shakes the earth? But now he has promised. Somebody say promised. Promised. Our God has promised this, that once more I will shake not only the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens as well. See, he is not limited to the earth being just his footstool. He is going to shake everything. He is going to move upon everything that you can imagine. This rumbling that was started in the heavens, it was by the very voice of God. The earth and the heavens are now ready to rumble at his voice. Come on, we have a God who is ready to rumble at all times. You know what we hear the Lord saying? Is at the very beginning of 27, the words once more. One more time. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Indicating the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. You know what I hear in this? It requires us to shake off our human instinct. It requires us to shake off our carnal, carnal compulsion. To actually get some heavenly discernment about everything that we do. Because what God is after in the shaking is that which will remain. The eternal that will last forever. The war cry that rises up and causes us to go the distance and make war with the enemy is what remains after what's being shaken. Is God shaking you? Is he trying to shake you loose? of human instinct commitments, your own self-determined victories, so that once it is gone, then all you're left with is His strength and power displayed in your victories. Verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You see, when you're in your battle and God is shaking things, He's shaking things that will not be in His kingdom. He has to shake off of us that which is not part of His kingdom. And that's what war does. It shakes everything that can be shaken because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Come on, what is God trying to shake out of you today? You already know the answer. He's trying to shake out of you everything that can be shaken out of you so that when he comes and joins you in the battle there's only victory that's ahead of you god is ready to rumble and he needs a people that are ready to rumble today god wants to see your trust grounded obedience demonstrating the way that you will rise up and stand firm on his name stand firm on his promises and his ability to deliver you in battle i know a lot of us in here have recently been hit in the mouth. But I want to tell you, you don't have to move to a foreign country to fight a battle. We're on the battlefield now. 
You were born again for adversity. See, I feel the rumblings already in this place. We are in the battle. Are you ready to rumble? When you go to war, you're led by a general. Do you know your general's war cry? I found it this morning. Jesus had a war cry. He knew that the war was going to get hot and heavy when he came up out of the water. That after his baptism, it was on. And I want to share with you the words that Jesus spoke when he could see the water before him. In Luke 12, 49, Jesus says, I have come to bring fire. To bring fire on the earth. Oh, how I wish it were already kindled. He says, I have a baptism. And I am, I can't wait to get through the water because the war is on. And we will be in war. This battle cry started it. And look, it doesn't end until you hear the trumpet. Until the resurrection, we will fight. Others will come behind us and fight. And we are a cloud of witness for them. Are you going to fight, church? Are you ready to rumble, church? Well, stand to your feet and let's get ready to rumble. Mighty God, we raise our hands and we raise our voices to you. That your name is above every name. And it's underneath that name that we find victory. That we find power. But we ask that your name be glorified as we face our battles. Lord, let us lift up our hearts and our minds to you as our sole source of victory. Gain victory in our midst, mighty King, as we cry out to your name, as we raise a battle cry and overcome through the name of Jesus.